Welcome back to the Mindful Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. All right, it has been a while, guys and girls, although I'm sure not very many girls, although you're welcome nonetheless. Sorry, just having a sip of coffee. Okay, so it has been almost three weeks since we spoke last, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's gone on. There's some things going on with the channel. There's just, there's lots of updates. So let's get right into it. What's the plan for today? You'll notice it's just me here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that in more detail in a moment. So first things first, I'm going to give a series of podcast updates, what my plans are moving forward, kind of in the macro and the micro. Then we're going to get into a fitness slash nutrition update, where I'm at, where I'm going, what my goals are, how I plan to achieve those, and then, and then I'm going to do a sheep wrap up but like a high level sheep wrap up. For those of you who don't know, I just got back. Today's Thursday. I got back Saturday morning from a two week sheep hunt. We were unsuccessful in killing a sheep, but had a crazy adventure. It was, it was really awesome, uh, which I have a, normally have a hard time saying when I'm unsuccessful in killing an animal, but it really was like everything I hoped it would be. Okay. First things first, where is the podcast going? So I've been given some feedback from a few different people and I kind of recentered myself and why I originally started this podcast. I've loved having guests on. I still plan to have guests, but I will say that I probably did close to 15 or 20 straight episodes with guests and I felt like how do I best say this? Like the podcast was losing a little bit of the reason why I started it. And this might sound a little bit odd, but this to me right now, me sitting here recording my thoughts and sharing them directly with you kind of feels more intimate to me. Like I feel like we have a better connection and I'm able to dig into some stuff a bit deeper than when I have guests on. So that being said, I want to have the best of both worlds. So ideally, moving forward, I'm going to try and rotate solo casts and guest podcasts. The solo casts, I will focus more on fitness and nutrition updates, my own goals, more in-depth gear reviews, things like that, my own hunting plans, you know, gear lists, pack dumps, you know, all that stuff that you guys have have come to love from the the original solo casts. And then same thing as always with the guests podcasts, you know, I'm going to try my best to find interesting people that you're not hearing on a million other podcasts. That being said, there's a couple people I want to get on that are those types of individuals that do do a lot of podcasts. And I'm not going to hold back from that because if I think somebody is interesting and if I think I can have a conversation that adds something unique, um, then I'm going to have it. Um, and I'm not going to not invite people simply because they tend to be more popular, but I am going to do my best to keep trying to dig up those really unique finds. In addition to podcast updates, and this is kind of directly related to the podcast, YouTube updates. So I am building, um, as most of you know, just moved into a new house about a month ago. 
significantly larger than my old house. I kind of have this amazing basement that I can do a whole bunch of really cool shit with. And there's a room down here that is lending itself perfectly to a YouTube studio. And I'm going to get into more of the nuts and bolts of why I'm doing that. But the, the real simple explanation is that in my experience, the fewer barriers that you have between you and creativity, the more likely you are to make stuff. And in the old place, it would take me a while to set up cameras and lights and get everything looking right and then hit record. And then if I forgot something, I had to set it all up again. And it was just, it was a lot of work and I don't mind doing the work, but I would have these ideas for like quick little videos or quick little reviews. And I just didn't have the actual time to, to do all the work to get it ready. So I wouldn't be creating nearly as much content as I think I'm capable of. So the idea is a fully committed room in the house is a YouTube studio. Lights, camera, sound treatment, some cool background, like the whole nine yards. So it literally like at the flick of a switch, I can sit down, pump out some content, shut everything off, go edit it, bam, it's up, it's ready to go. The secondary benefit of this studio is that it's also going to serve as an in-person podcast studio so that when there are guests who are local, I can have them come over, sit down, and it's a much more intimate in-person conversation. I'm just tired of being on Zoom all the time for work, for the podcast, for everything. And it's just not the same as sitting down with somebody and having a, a real life conversation. So if they're local, that's going to be the kind of interview method of choice moving forward. There, on that note, there is a shitload of reviews coming up soon. I've got a list of, on my phone of all the videos that I've got to make right now. So I have a binocular review, a tent review, tripod head review, tripod review, solar charger, camo from the sheep hunt, food, uh, gator comparison video, glove comparison video, underwear comparison video. Like, listen, it goes on and on and on. So the goal moving forward will be to have at least one YouTube video with a, a detailed gear review come out per week and one podcast per week. So with that in mind, if there's any specific items of gear that you want reviewed, please let me know. Easiest way to get a hold of me is just Instagram, mindful underscore hunter, send me a DM or shoot me an email, j at mindfulhunter.com. In addition to that, if there's any guests you want on the podcast, and it can be anybody, local guys, older guys, bow hunters, rifle hunters, guides, conservation-minded people, um, definitely please let me know um, and and send your recommendations in. Okay, so so moving on, I'm going to also do a better job at, at tracking my own personal journey, both with hunting and fitness, because that was a piece of critical feedback I got that people missed that. I thought you guys were kind of getting sick of me talking about myself, and I think if I only do that kind of 50% of the episodes, I think it will kill two birds with one stone. Um. And, and, and just to add some more context, as far as the YouTube transition, so I've learned a lot. We're at like 35 episodes of the podcast so far. I've put them all up on YouTube. I've put them all up on all the audio platforms. I've tracked which ones have done well, which ones haven't, and I've learned a lot. And here's the deal. If you're not a big YouTuber, 
long form videos don't get pushed by the algorithm. So my podcasts on YouTube don't get very many views. They do very well in audio format though. And I've done gear reviews on YouTube that do very well. And then when I started doing the gear reviews within the podcast, those videos weren't doing as well as previous gear reviews. And I've learned that YouTube doesn't like the long videos. So I'm going to take the gear reviews out of the long form YouTube videos, and I'm going to do them as separate videos. And then what I will do in the audio podcast is I will just upload the audio of those gear reviews at the end of the podcast. Anyways, this is a whole bunch of detail that you guys don't really know. I'm just trying to explain some of the transitions that you're going to see moving forward. And the idea is more content, more easily available, more logically organized so that it's easier to get to. That's really the bottom line. All right. With all that out of the way, let's get into the current physical state, nutrition, training, and everything that's going on. So at the moment, I weigh 238 pounds. When I got home from the sheep hunt, I weighed 234 pounds. So I've put four pounds back on in the last week. Super common. I think if you were to survey 100 backcountry hunters, I think the vast majority would lose 10 pounds on a hunt and gain back five pounds in the first week when they're home. Um, I think there's a lot of water and glycogen that that account for that. And I think there is some actual significant fat loss as well. And that's what accounts for the rest of it. Now to put this in context, I started cutting for my sheep hunt about six weeks before I left. So six weeks before my sheep hunt, I weighed 257 pounds. And like I said, when I got home, I weighed 234. So between preparing for the sheep hunt I lost 15 pounds before I left. I went from 257 to 242. And then I lost eight pounds while I was on my sheep hunt. So in that eight-week period, I lost a total of 23 pounds, which sounds significant, but when you weigh 260 pounds, it's less than 10%. So it's like a 200-pound person losing 15 to 18 pounds. Um, or a 150-pound person losing 12 pounds. So it, it, it's, it's not as severe as it, as it sounds initially. Also, to be completely transparent, I, I dropped a lot of my supplements back. And so I was, I was going pretty hard on everything for about four months, the four months previous. And then I knew I wanted to cut things back to be at a more kind of reasonable level of everything. So cut everything back um, before the sheep hunt. And so that will also kind of significantly reduce the amount of water retention and, and, and profoundly impact your overall weight. So let's go back to the beginning. When I was, I was 257 pounds, I had a sheep hunt in two months I knew I had done my goat hunt at about 265 pounds, and I knew that was too much. I did not want to be that heavy. My initial goal was to lose 10 to 12 pounds. I was thinking 245, given my current strength and current cardio, would kind of be ideal. Now, obviously, that's not ideal in the absolute sense of the word, 
I think for a guy my height, six foot one, I think somewhere between 190 and 210 pounds, given body composition and, and muscle mass, is probably the optimal weight for backcountry hunting, you know, big enough to be strong and carry a big pack, but light enough that you're not carrying too much weight up the hill. However, we still have this bodybuilding goal, which I'm going to get to in a minute. So I knew coming down to the 200 pound range was not going to happen. And if it did, I would have to cut so severely, it would be detrimental to my overall health and, and performance capacity. So I knew I wanted to lose 10 to 15 pounds. So what did I do? For starters, I just cut out all the garbage. I've been kind of bulking before that, and I usually let myself be a little bit more relaxed with my diet when I'm bulking. So the first week or two, all I did was cut out the garbage and tried to get back on track with like a really, you know, I hate using this word because it's a bit of a inaccurate word to use, but everybody knows what I'm meaning. So I'm just going to say clean. I went back on a clean diet, steak, chicken, ground beef, Rice, grits, uh, brown rice pasta, low sugar, uh, staying away from dairy and unhealthy fats, that type of stuff. Did that for the first two weeks, just a basic cleanup phase. And then what I did was started lowering carbs. And I oh, oh, each week I would take, you know, maybe 50 grams and not 50 grams of carbs, but 50 grams of weight away from each meal. So let's say, for example, I was eating 250 grams of rice for each meal, you know, five meals a day or the equivalent, you know, this could be grits in the morning or past at night, but just let's say the equivalent of 250 grams of rice for five meals every day. First week I came down to 200, then 150, then 100. And I think 100 was about as low as I got. And I found at 100 grams of rice per meal per day, I was um, losing somewhere in the neighborhood of, of one to two pounds per week, depending on the week. And I was still having a cheat meal each weekend. And I was even being pretty liberal with that cheat meal. It was more like a cheat evening. You know, I would let myself have a, have a snack and then we'd go out for a meal at Cactus Club and I'd probably have a bit of dessert at Cactus Club and then I'd come home, maybe watch a movie with some more snacks and then have a big dessert before I went to bed. And I would do that once a week. And that basically allowed me to come down and I, uh, there, I'll get into the physical training component in a moment. But the idea with weight loss is to come down relatively slowly. The, the slower you can come down, the more muscle mass you're going to be able to hang on to. And when I had Kevin Gwillem on from Wilderness Athlete, he made a really good point in that most guys, when it comes time to do that final push to get ready for a hunt, they, they try to lose weight instead of gaining strength. And he thinks people would be better off if you're a little bit behind the eight ball because of life or whatever happens and you've got a hunt in two months and you're not as ready as, sh as you should be, you should be more concerned about getting stronger than about losing weight. And I think this is a really great insight because when you try to lose weight inappropriately, you know, too fast or, and this is the other thing, if you're, if you're natural, if you are not supplementing with PEDs, your testosterone is going to take a kick in the nuts. Um, 
it, your endocrine system does not like being in a caloric deficit and it specifically does not like an absence of fats because that's how you make cholesterol. Cholesterol is a key component in the creation of testosterone. And in the absence of fat, most guys' testosterone drops through the floor. And so what happens is you, you're getting ready for a hunt, you lose a bunch of weight, which actually means you've lost a bunch of muscle, your testosterone levels fall through the floor, and you end up showing up for the hunt, uh, we'd call you skinny fat. You're kind of flabby, you're soft, you're weak, and you have low motivation. Not how you want to show up for a hunt. I would rather see guys eating healthy, lifting heavy, doing lots of training. Maybe they even put on a pound or two. Who cares? If you're stronger, you're going to you're going to have a better mindset and you're going to operate better during the hunt. So all of that is a really long-winded way of me saying that was why I wanted to lose the weight relatively slowly. Um, and I supplement with TRT so I do, I can be a bit more aggressive, which is why normally I would recommend a half pound to 1 pound per week for natural guys. If you're on TRT, I think you could go as high as two pounds a week. And as long as your, your protein is, is where it needs to be and your physical training is doing what it needs to do, I think you're perfectly fine. And that's a good way to transition into the physical training. When you are in a deficit, and this is kind of counterintuitive to the way most people have approached training historically, when you are in a caloric deficit, I would lower volume slightly when you have to, but try and keep your intensity or your strength as high as you possibly can. So what I mean by that is, ideally, you're already tracking your lifts. You know what your max squat is. And by max squat, I don't mean your one rep max, unless you're a power lifter. None of us should be doing one rep maxes. What I mean by that is I track my top sets of each of my major lifts. So when I do my hack squat, I know, for example, I can do six plates per side for 11 reps. And when I do a leg press, I know I can do 12 plates per side for 10 reps. And, you know, when I do lat pull downs, I usually have two major exercises per body part that I track. So when I go into a deficit and when I try to track weight, I fight tooth and nail to hang on to my top sets. Now I'm going to lose a couple reps. At the peak of my deficit, I was down at six plates per side and seven reps. So I lost four reps off of my max lift, but I was still pushing the same weight. And this is key. If you want to retain muscle mass, you need to signal a need for that mass. If all of a sudden you go in and start just doing pussy workouts and you're like, I'm just going to go in and get a pump today, then you're telling your body, I no longer require the muscle mass. I am, I'm putting you in a caloric deficit. So it's okay for you to drop that muscle mass because that's the most efficient way your body thinks it's doing you a favor because that's the most efficient way to lose some weight. So cut calories slowly. Make sure you still have enough healthy fats and try to hang on to your main lifts at your peak weight. It's okay if you lose a couple reps, but try to keep that same weight. And if you do those three things, you should be able to lose weight slowly and consistently 
and it should result in a favorable body composition, meaning you should be losing primarily fat and minimal uh, contractile tissue or lean muscle mass. So did that. <clears throat> so I did that for six weeks, got down to 242. And here's the other kind of interesting thing I do. The week before I go a hunt, I kind of throw it all out the window. I'm normally busy as hell trying to get ready. I'm trying to spend time with the family. I've been a little bit carb depleted. So I kind of, I almost look at it as like a prep for a show or um, a, a, an athletic event. And I, I carb load kind of up to leaving for the hunt. So I, I totally relax again that last week. And if the wife wants to go out for dinner a couple times, we go out for dinner. If the kid wants to do McDonald's drive through you know, screw it. We're going to do McDonald's drive through We have a good time. I don't stress about it. I eat what I want when I want, making sure I get enough. Still have a couple of protein shakes during the day. Still track my macros a little bit just to make sure that I'm not in a deficit. But I have fun that last week. So that put me at 242. Showed up to the hunt in great condition. I'll get into this more later on, but physically I couldn't have asked for anything more. It was a difficult hunt. It was challenging. Um, yeah, I will cover that more. I'm very happy with how I felt during the hunt and what my physical performance was like. And considering I was hunting with two dudes who were 25, um, I feel it, it especially good about it. Cause that was one of my concerns when we first started talking about doing this hunt together was that these two young dudes, I'm going to be 43 next month, were going to smoke me. And that was certainly not the case. Um, everybody really showed up for the hunt. Then throughout the course of the hunt, I lose another eight pounds. I took about 3,400 calories per day. Obviously, um, you're never going to keep up with the kind of caloric expenditure that you're going to have on a, on a sheep hunt. This is a prime opportunity for me to plug the nutrition guide. If you go to my website under the tools page, mindfulhunter.com slash tools, I've uploaded a free backcountry nutrition guide that gets into, you know, uh, how we use different types of calories, what macros really are, how to construct backcountry meal plans, a couple of example meal plans, the whole nine yards. All you got to do is type in your email and I send you the guide for free. No questions asked. I'm going to be starting a newsletter here sometime in the next little while. It's going to be very useful. It's going to come out once a month. It's not going to be spammy. Um, and I'm just trying to build up people's names for that list. So if you want that guide, I highly recommend go, going to get it. As far as physical stuff, that's really all that's gone on. I've been pretty chill since I got home with my diet. Again, focusing on family and the fact that I, you know, was pretty skinny and, and came home a couple pounds light. I'm not, I'm not stressing out. I'm eating what I want when I want and just kind of having a good time. So what does this mean moving forward? I'll get into my hunt plans here in a minute, but as far as the, the physical physique plans go, the plan is still to do a bodybuilding competition and you know, this was supposed to be a one-year goal and it's currently turned into almost a four-year goal. And I'm at the point now and I'm at the weight now where I'm, I'm kind of at the one last push place. So the plan is to do one last kind of big-ass bulk starting now and running all the way through December and then prep for a show in June. Um, 
I'm sick of being as big as I am. It's taking a toll on my joints, taking a toll on my cardiovascular system. Like I said, I'm going to be 43. I'm not interested in walking around at 270 or 280 pounds for the next five, 10 years of my life. It's just not worth the impact to my overall health. And I still have a lot of really cool kind of backcountry hunts I, I want to do. And I don't want to do those hunts at 240 and 250 pounds anymore. So this is it. We're going to go for broke and, and lay it all on the line and it's either going to work or I'm going to have to confront the fact that it's just not in the cards for, for me to be a bodybuilder genetically, which is, I'm willing to face if that's the case. But anyways, so I've already started kind of upping the supplements. I've got everything planned out for the next four, four and a half months. Got my calories planned out, supplements planned out, physical training planned out. And essentially it's the same thing that's always happened before. Everything will go up slowly for the first eight weeks. And then the levels of everything will peak at around eight weeks. I will then hold that peak for the next eight weeks. And then I'll slowly taper everything off, giving me essentially a four month cycle. I don't have a weight goal in mind. I think that's a mistake I've made in the past. I've been too focused on the scale moving up and I have gained weight and sacrificed body composition. And I want to focus more on body composition and worry less about the scale. So that being said, I know, I know now from doing this as long as I have what my calories need to be to be in a surplus. And it will be somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 to 350 grams of rice or, you know, other kind of carb product per meal. So I will work my way up there over the first few weeks and then I'll hold that. And the idea is probably gain a pretty significant amount of weight in the first eight weeks. You know, like I said, I don't have a weight goal, but if I was going to guess probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 25 pounds and then hold that weight for the second half of the cycle and kind of do a recomp, like a bulking recomp where I won't get any heavier, but uh, my body composition will get more favorable. When that's done, take a month off, bring everything down, chill out, let the body reset a little bit, and then I should be ready to prep for a show. So that's the goal, and I plan to detail the, the progress um, pretty broadly and, and pretty openly. So you can count on weekly updates. I'm probably not going to get back in the habit of posting progress pics. I don't think, especially when you're bulking, like nobody wants to see that. Um, and I'm not at a place physically where I even think it's particularly noteworthy. So until I do feel that my progress is, is noteworthy, I'm not going to bother posting progress pics. Um, that is about it for the kind of fitness slash nutrition slash personal goals section update. And so I will get back in the habit of doing a pretty detailed update every two weeks on the solo cast episodes. And if anyone has any questions regarding nutritional or fitness topics that you want me to cover, send me a DM, shoot me an email, and we can get into that. No worries.
All right, let's move on to the sheep hunt. First of all, I will say there is a detailed gear review to come. Most likely the next solo cast, what I will do is I will sit down and I will walk through my entire gear list, tell you how everything held up, what I want to swap out, what I loved, what I hated, what worked great, what didn't, and all the rest of it. So if you have any specific questions about any of the gear I ran, and you can go back to a previous episode where we did a complete gear list and... uh, So if you have any specific questions about any of the gear I ran, and if you're curious what that was in advance, you can go back to one of the previous episodes and you will see an exhaustive gear list there. Um, Let me know. Send me a DM. Send me an email. Now, that being said, I do have three things I'm going to note right now. My favorite piece of gear, the worst piece of gear, and a piece of gear I could have gotten away without taking. Favorite piece of gear, and this is very subjective because there's 10 different things I I could have chosen, but really the standout for me was the Kelvin Active Jacket. And this has actually been a standout on a couple of hunts for me. I feel like this piece flies very heavily under the radar. A lot of people run the core heavyweight hoodie, which is essentially just a grid fleece top. Every Kuyu has one, First Light has one, Cryptek has one. Everybody has a similar piece of gear. And that's what most people run for their secondary layer. So they'll run a next to skin base layer, and then they'll run some type of grid fleece over the top. I've never been a particular fan of grid fleeces. I didn't really know why. I don't find them particularly warm. I don't like fleece in general as a as a fabric. Like it's okay, but um, it's just never really knocked it out of the park for me. Uh, it's it doesn't keep you incredibly warm. When it gets wet, it's kind of uncomfortable, and the insulative properties are okay, but they're not great. And it's not super light. Here's the thing about the Kelvin Active jacket. It weighs less than the core heavyweight hoodie. I find it has better wind protection. It's certainly warmer and it certainly works better when it's wet because it has this really thin um, synthetic insulation. So I'm at a, yeah, in all of my layering from now on, my secondary piece is going to be the Kelvin Active jacket or a, a similar piece to that. Now, The worst piece of gear were my last Sportiva Nepal GTXs. And this comes with, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt. As far as the boots and their performance on the mountains, they excelled. They were everything I hoped for. They, uh, I did not get one single blister. I had a couple of hot spots. I had a couple of hot spots, specifically. Uh, the outsides of my big toes nearing the end of day one, and then uh, my heel nearing the end of the last day of the hunt. But to be honest with you, and it was more water than anything on the last day, which I'll get to. I put a little bit of Luco tape on all three of those and never had to worry about it again. Didn't get a blister, didn't get any sore spots, never rolled an ankle. As far, So they're, they're kind of performance through severe topography was excellent. 10 out of 10. The waterproofness was shit. Garbage. Um, 
and I'm kind of going to blame this on myself. I have always been, there's a couple of really good products, Obanoff's uh, LP, heavy duty leather protectant, Hubbard's shoe grease, Schnee's leather conditioner, snow seal to a certain degree. All of these are natural products that have a combination of like conditioning oils and waxes. And I've always used materials like this for waterproofing boots for over the last 20 years. Now there's some really good information as to, you know, technically why you shouldn't use products like this and it interferes with Gore-Tex and blah, blah, and it darkens the boots and blah, 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 blah. And this is one of those things where I think the bro science excels and, and, and outperforms the technical science because technically they will all tell you, you should either use some type of light silicone spray, like a Granger's or a product like Nick wax. And I'm not going to badmouth those two products in, in, in particular, they might work good under particular circumstances, but in my experience, it, they just, they're not built for extreme use. And I will be the first to say maybe the, um, the, the oil slash wax, you know, um, products like Obanoff's and Hubbard's shoe grease, you know, adversely affect the Gore-Tex. But here's the deal with high quality leather, you kind of don't need Gore-Tex. Like people have been waterproofing leather boots for hundreds of years, way before Gore-Tex. And personally, I would rather depend upon the, the kind of the time honored capabilities of, of leather during severe circumstances. So I think my error was I'm going to rely on this technical fabric and I'm going to try and treat my boots in a way that's in line with the manufacturer's recommendations. When in fact, I should have just done what I've always done and greased the shit out of them before a hunt. And basically what happened was it was literally, it was the first day. And this is more than Creek crossings. I think very wet, thick grass is really the test of how waterproof a pair of boots are. Anybody can take a couple quick steps through a creek and keep dry feet, but can you walk through thick, wet grass for an extended period of time and have that kind of physically forcing the water through the seams and still have dry feet? If the answer is yes to that, then you have a serious contender on your hand for like a boot treatment um, protocol. So boots sucked. I had soaking wet feet. And I'm talking to the point where you could literally like hear the water sloshing around. Like I could feel it squishing against the insides of the boot. And when I took my boots off, I would literally pour out like several tablespoons of water. I could wring my socks out. It was insane. Um, this is another argument for gaiters, by the way, because it creates less surface area on the boot exposed to the wet grass. So I also wasn't running gaiters, but I was also with guys who were not running gaiters either, had full leather boots, their feet were not nearly as wet as mine. So moving forward, gonna run my gaiters, 
going to use Obanoffs. And I will do a little video on how I like to waterproof boots my way That's that I have tested and kind of perfected over time. And it's no, there's nothing new about it. I heat the boots up in the oven and I rub a shitload of wax into them. And I usually do that a couple times. And if I've done that a couple times, then you can give it single use touch-ups for the next few months until you do another crazy hunt and kind of blow all the grease out. Um, so yeah, finally, uh, the piece of gear I could have gotten away without taking is my down pants. So here's a funny story. I bought a pair of down pants two years ago. I have never actually put them on in the field. Not one time. I've taken them on five hunts, I think, and I've never put them on. I think I just run hot from the waist down. I don't know. Uh, I've been in cold situations, but I also like to sleep in my wet clothes. I find a lot of people get out of their wet clothes, put their down pants on and get in their sleeping bag when it gets cold outside. I really hazard against that because then you're going to wake up to wet clothes. And I would rather muscle through the uncomfortable, clammy, kind of damp sleeping bag that if you just zip yourself up and stay put, give yourself a few hours, you will wake up in the middle of the night and be completely dry because your body heat will force that moisture out through the bag during the night. Um, this is kind of an, a non-negotiable for me and something I don't think a lot of people understand. The same thing goes true with, with boots and most clothes, like never take off wet boots or clothes when you're in the woods. I only bring one change of everything. And no matter if I'm getting wet from sweat or wet from rain, I wear it until my body heat dries it back out. And normally what I do is actually put more clothes on over top. That keeps me warm. And it acts as kind of an extraction layer that kind of sucks the moisture out of the next to skin clothes and allows it to evacuate out to the air. So favorite piece of gear, Kelvin Active Jacket, worst piece of gear, Last Sportiva Nepal GTX, gear I should not have taken, down pants because I didn't wear them. Okay, so let's do a general overview of the sheep hunt. So we were in the Northwestern Rockies. We drove, you know, 14 to 16 hours north. We got flown in by a bush pilot that was kind of like two trips because of, of where we went in and how many people we had and all the rest. We were in there for 13 days. So we got dropped off on the Sunday morning and came out two weeks later on the Friday night. Um, I've, I've, I've written myself some questions here and I'm just going to kind of go through them and give you an off the cuff response. What would I do differently? Uh, so one of my hunting partners was kind of in charge of the location. Um, and it, it was great because, you know, we didn't really know where to go. And, and he had some tips from, you know, these old guys and, and that was fine. That was, I was totally cool with that. But I relied on that too much. Uh, normally, I do pretty exhaustive e-scouting and map planning. And because he was kind of like meeting with these guys and was going to know the way in, I was just like, yeah, sweet. I'll let you handle that and I'll worry about some other stuff. And it turned out we kind of had to attempt to get into this kind of isolated range of mountains basically three different ways. And it took us five days to get into the spot 
where we were essentially trying to get on the first day, but we didn't know that's where we were supposed to end up on the first day. We were kind of aiming at a different part of the range and then through a bunch of like looking at different maps and a couple of texts and everything, we realized that there was actually a kind of quasi horse trail that did go where we should have went in the first place. And that's all cool. It's not really that big of a deal. We got to see a lot of country and cross it off the map. And I think if we'd have taken the easy way in, we kind of would have been looking at this stuff the whole time and either would have walked over there eventually anyways, or would have wit not known what was over there. But what I would do differently is that even when somebody else kind of has access to information regarding routes and trails and where you're going to camp, I'm still going to do just as an exhaustive e-scouting route planning process that I normally do because I, I would have caught some of the errors that we made when I was at home and able to look at things in 3D and on big maps and and all the rest of it. So not not the end of the world, but uh, definitely something to think of moving forward. So what did we do right? Now, this is kind of funny because we didn't kill a sheep. So one would argue, you know, how do you know, you know, did you really do anything right? I think we had a lot of patience and that is not typically my strong suit. You know, a couple, the guy even on the hunt was even like, are you going to be able to just chill out? Because I'm kind of known for these ball busting hikes and all, you know, move, 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 grind, grind, grind. And I was curious about this myself, but once we figured out the ideal camp location, realized the area that was glassable from our location, I just sat there and grounded out, man. And I think that that was a big learning opportunity for me. I, I do think we were in that location a little bit too long, but because of the time spent up front trying to get in there and a little bit of confusion about when we were coming out, we didn't really have time to bump to a new location. And and so it is what it is. So instead of, you know, wandering all over Hell's Half Acre and being really inefficient and blowing game out, we sat still. And, and if there had have been a ram in our area, we would have found him. I feel very confident about that. Like I said earlier, it was a somewhat isolated range. So by the end of, you know, we were in one location for kind of five or six days in a row. And by the end of that, I felt supremely confident that we'd seen all the animals in the area because we'd seen different groups. We'd seen groups go away for a couple of days and then come back. We'd seen them leave at one end of the range and re-enter on the other side of the range, letting you know they'd kind of gone all the way around the front. And I was just very confident that we'd kind of seen all the animals that this particular range was holding at that time. Um, there just didn't happen to be any rams there. I also think, you know, for the most part, we prepped really well. We were never in a situation where we forgot something that was mission critical or somebody's fitness kind of held us back, um, catastrophically, or, you know, we were ready for the hunt and it, and we executed it extremely well. Um, Next question. Did I have any epiphanies? So this is very interesting. And I get into this at the end of the film. The film should be out probably Tuesday or Wednesday next week. I thought I was going to get it out Monday, but then I realized I'm taking my daughter camping this weekend. So I won't be able to edit 
things on Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, but at the end of the film, you'll see me get into this epiphany in a little bit more detail, but it was regarding a hunting partner. So without getting into too many of the details, Tristan had to go home early. He developed a sinus infection and decided it was best to go home. So he had to go back to the strip and actually Spencer had to walk him to the strip and back, which is a, a story for another day is a 25 mile round trip hike that he did in two days. Dude is a legit savage, you know, nothing but respect. And that's kind of, that leads me into my epiphany. I've always been a solo hunter. People think it's because I'm badass. It's it, for, on one hand, it's just because I, I don't know anybody dumb enough to come with me on these adventures. And another one, I don't like waiting for people. And I don't like, what's that, what's that saying? I don't suffer fools lightly. Like it's hard for me to find somebody who's like dedicated and driven and has their shit together um, and is a, a real benefit to the hunt and isn't a, a deficit, if that makes any sense. Um, and, and, and Spencer had all that in spades. Like it was such a cool, like it was the, one of the first times when I felt like I was hunting better because somebody else was there. Like there were times when it was difficult you know, just glassing and glassing and glassing. And it's like, you just get sick and tired of it. And you're like, there's nothing there. But then I would, I'd go have a like quick nap and then I'd wake up and Spence would be out glassing. I'm like, oh, I, I better get up and, and go glass. Or we'd be hiking around and I wouldn't want to go over the next ridge. And I think, ah, you know, we've done a good job. There's probably nothing else to see. And he'd be, and he would say, ah, let's just go one more ridge. And so Developing that relationship and, and having the opportunity to hunt with somebody who is just as dedicated and just as passionate and, and just as physically fit really was the epiphany for me. I'm looking forward to a lot more hunts with that guy. It was really a, you know, an honor and a pleasure to hunt with him. Um, and I think it takes, sometimes the solo route is the easy route because you don't have to compromise. You don't have to negotiate. You don't have to consider how other people feel. And I can see now how me solo hunting most of the time is in a way, which most people won't understand this, but taking the easy way out because I, I didn't, my comfort zone is in not having to do any of those negotiations or consider anybody's feelings. And it's difficult for me to, to force myself to do that. So and, and anyways, that was really a good lesson for me. And I was very, um, I'm very happy that I had the opportunity to, to do that. Um, now in closing, like I say, I'll be doing a much more in-depth gear review in the next couple of weeks and the film will be out next week. So if you want more details on the hunt, those are the best avenues to get it. But I'll close out by saying, what are my plans for hunting for the rest of this year and what are my sheep hunting plans for next year and those two things might actually coincide so most likely i'm going to do one more hunt this calendar year and it's going to be a late season hunt most likely the the second to last or last week of october and i was initially considering a solo alpine mule deer hunt maybe Spence, Spence actually got hired to go wrangling for Stone Mountain Safari. So super cool opportunity. If he's back in time, he might come with me on that hunt. And if he's not, I'll go solo. 
And now I'm also kind of considering maybe I should just go sheep hunting again. Part of me wants to mix it up. Part of me feels like I have some unfinished business. At the moment, I'm undecided. I know this. I've got a week where I can go hunt and it's going to be in the mountains, whether I'm focusing on mule deer or sheep remains to be seen. So, and then as far as sheep for next year, so 100% I'm hunting sheep again next year, 100% it's going to be two weeks. I'm kind of leaning towards a, a horse hunt next year. Um, I love the idea of being outfitted on horses or having some horses that I could take in. I've, I, I've done horseback hunting before, but never like big, deep backcountry horse hunting. So I think that's what I want to do. I'm also interested, normally when I put out a podcast after a hunt or release a film after a hunt, a lot of people touch base and they kind of give me feedback on what went well and what didn't. And sometimes people have ideas for things that I should consider for next year. So I'm also leaving my mind open until that kind of, that kind of falls out. But I think, I think that's the plan. I'd like to do a horse hunt and for two weeks. And I'm thinking probably earlier in the season, maybe for the first, the first two week opener, um, I kind of want to figure out a way to take my dad elk hunting next year. He's got, he's come elk hunting with me once before, but we were unsuccessful and I want to figure out a way, um, to get him back out here. And if I do that, that's got to be the last two weeks of September and I need a pretty decent break between the two hunts. So yeah, that's where I'm at. All right. That wraps it up for today. Kind of cool to be back doing the solo cast. As I've always said, it would greatly appreciate any way you could engage with the material, like, comment, subscribe, share it, um, send me a comment, send me an email. Instagram is mindful underscore hunter. Email is j at mindfulhunter.com. And if you want to really support the podcast, I'm trying to figure out a way to do this thing and keep it ad free, but still have it kind of be you know, financially self-sustaining right now. It kind of costs me a lot of money to, to do all this stuff. And I don't want to enter into the typical kind of sponsored brand deals that I see plague the industry everywhere else. I'm not saying there's not brands I would like to have the opportunity to work with, but I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And while I figure that out, if you want to financially support the podcast, buy some merch. I came out with a really cool shirt, two really cool hats. If you go to mindfulhunter.com slash shop, it's all right there. Um, and that's the best way that really supports the podcast in a very direct way. So I highly recommend if you want to engage with the, with the podcast and, and support it in a, in a financial way, that's the best way to do it. All right. So until next week, thanks for tuning in.